Welcome to Season 1, Episode 37 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at some of our favorite properties. Today's episode features legendary actor of TV and film, Lou Temple. The former minor league baseball player, walking dead alum, frequent collaborator with Rob Zombie, and roundhouse kick magnet sits down with Mark to talk his career, how he honors his characters who die too soon, as well as some meaningful life advice. If you get hit by accident, however, you can find us by searching for Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also continue the conversation on our blog. If you like reading, that is. We write stuff. Pay us a visit and check out the extra content we share during the week, where we also look at some additional pop culture news. So welcome back, folks. Digital Dissection. Today's episode features a very special guest known for his wide range of acting ability, whether it be in horror, westerns, or even the damn literal zombie apocalypse itself. He is the recipient of the Gulf Coast Film Festival's Lifetime Achievement Award and is easily one of the most charismatic and infectious personalities gracing screens of all sizes. We welcome to the show Lou Temple. How are we doing, Lou? Hey, Mark, that was such a kind in invitation to join your show, and what a lovely greeting. Thank you for all those nice nice things you said. You know, I always feel like if you get in a Lifetime Achievement Award that, um, you know, you're done. <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> I've still got some things to do. So I, I, when I got that award at the Gulf Coast Film Festival, I was like, ah, I might not accept this. I think I think I still got one or two better ones. Can we save this for a couple yeah. of years now until I'm 80? But it, it was nice. And, uh, and um, infectious is, uh, it, you know, in, in these days with all that's gone on, it, 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 it's, I'm glad you used it in a, in a, in a warm inviting way with me because uh, we've certainly had our share of, infectious disease in, in the last two years now going on it, it definitely was a word that i as i looked at it on the page i went you know if this was a year and a half ago i might have rewritten it but it, it really does describe you as, as best i can because i remember cool. going back as far as i can I, I remember seeing you on you know the original walker texas ranger when i was a kid yeah and, and so i have been you know, watching you my whole life, basically. And that was great. People forget how good a show that was and what it stood for at that time. It was a, it was a beautiful, uh, just metaphor, good versus evil. Uh, yeah. You know, it was very formulaic. But I have to say, you know, before we get too far off, just, a, you know, a tip of the cap to Chuck Norris, who always was so, so enthusiastic. He was so supportive of the show and he, he delivered he was like a coach i mean before we did an episode he'd come in give a big pep talk and guys i'm i'm not the best actor but i'll do what i can and i, I you know you 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 guys are all here to help help the show be better and thank you and anything you need like, i mean it was great i know there's a lot of jokes made about chuck but he's a good dude man it was it was a good show and it was fun it was so funny mark and you know this is that you know, I would do different characters on that show. Yeah. I mean, like it was kind of in a day and age and I'm aging myself now that 
I guess they didn't think people were watching. So I'd show up with a mustache or I'd show up with, they put a wig on me or, mm -hmm. you know, a hat and I'd be just different guys. You know, yeah. it was, it was ridiculous. They'd no more do that today than, than you know, uh, than they would have a cow do those <laughs> lines. But, um, and then finally I did a role where I was this guy that was nefariously aware of what the trouble was in Dallas and you know Chuck would come to me and say I know you know who's you know doing this and I'd tell him a lie and then I'd go to jail and he'd figure it out but finally I got killed it was the last season and I was killed by a gangster that was moving in on my Dallas territory and uh, that character was played by Frank Stallone um, <laughs> Sly's brother and yep. then Walker had, I mean, this is, this is how far they had slipped. Walker had to investigate my murder. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was really, but it was great. It was my first exposure to sort of professional television, like network yeah. television, CBS. Uh, he would, Walker was, tell me your granddad didn't like Walker or your dad or, you know, uh, it was, the absolute go-to, hey, Walker's on. We got we to gotta watch him be the good guy. I mean, from that long lineage of gun smoke to yeah. Bonanza to, you know, whatever sheriff was wearing the white hat, even though Walker typically wore a black hat. Yeah. Well, let me just say that you, you take a roundhouse better than anybody else I've seen on TV. So I, kudos know, to you. At some point, you know, there were – it's Chuck had so many stunt doubles, you didn't know who you were fighting. And uh, – <laughs> You just hope that it, if it was him, you just hope that that you knew the choreograph well enough that you didn't really kick him. You know, <laughs> last yeah. thing you want to do is kick the boss or punch <laughs> the boss. You know, stunt doubles they they could take it. Chuck well, could take it too. That guy was he was in great shape or still is. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I love to say that the the people who are making jokes about uh, about him are really the ones that should be just looking at the facts, which are, they're not jokes, they're called Chuck Norris facts, right? And I mean, I, I actually, even when we started the show, tried to reach out to the originator, the person who founded the Chuck Norris facts website, just to see, you know, like, wow. where did you where did you get all this from? And maybe one day we'll get there. But for today though, we're celebrating Yulu. We wanted to- Oh, cool, thank you. We, I yeah, like how you put that celebration. And again, uh, like the lifetime, you know, I, I still have some things to do, but yeah, we could, we could, we could lift some glad hands for some of the things I've done. How's that? <laughs> well, what we like to do um, is, is really kind of tell your origin story to start off and, and looking at, you know, your, your background and everything. Um, a lot of things point towards, you know, you, you obviously living in Texas for a while, um, but you're, you're originally from Louisiana. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, so what part of Louisiana are you from? It's, and uh, New Orleans, we're just getting beat up right now with the uh, Ida. Yeah. Ida. Ida's kicking. Uh, we just reached out to a bunch of friends and, uh, and they're all, you know, suffering a little bit. So, uh, word, thoughts, and prayers out to the folks in, in the Gulf, mm -hmm. um, not just New Orleans, but uh, all along the Gulf Coast that are uh, dealing with that for sure. So, that's kind of part and parcel of that part of the country. And everyone always asks, well, 
why do they continue to stay there? And it's just a way of life. It's just, you know, they don't, it's just in the blood and it, and it doesn't leave unless you need to go be an actor or a writer or a musician, then you probably are going to look for a, uh, a place to present your wares like New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like living history. And uh, you also have the, uh, isn't the one of the, um, World War II museums there, or the D-Day Museum, I thought was there. So it's the World War II Museum, which is incredible. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, uh, it's it's a uh, virtual participatory experience. So you actually get on a train mm -hmm. and head to a a you know B fifty two bomber and fly overseas and go to boot camp. I mean, you go through the experience through. Uh, through a virtual reality and it's crazy and it's it's amazing it's if you get to new orleans you know take some time off of bourbon street to go out and educate yourself through that museum it's amazing yeah yeah I, i'm a i'm a military brat i haven't been able to get down there just yet but one day i will um and what kind of led me down that path was to really explore a little bit more about you know what what lou does how does lou spend his time because you you, you have a life in photos. Yeah, I love getting to just look at the photos you take, um, you know, as far as maybe what you're eating that day, maybe where you're traveling to that day. I mean, uh, how, how yeah. do you spend your free time, Lou? Well, apparently I take a lot of pictures, but it's not <laughs> as much as, but, the, but what you just said is sort of validates why I take pictures um, because I think there's a life in pictures. You know, we used to look at magazines or I was a kid that saw, things in magazines and I used to be amazed at the magazine life l-i-f-e which mm -hmm. was just that and it was always something interesting and I I just thought wow would I ever get to see anything like that and lo and behold I have so I tried to do that and I post them because I think they have a life and I think a life can be shared I don't post them to boast or post them to promote that I'm uh, anything or entitled or experiencing anything more than anyone else, but I post them to, to share or at least prompt an idea actually to get one upped. If I post something, <laughs> I know I, I love when someone goes, oh yeah, look at this, da da da, and then that thing. I don't mind being topped, um, <laughs> sure. but I post things uh, to share and to uh, serve the idea that we all have a story to tell and that we should tell our stories. It makes us feel better, not just to tell, but to listen. And I think that's why I know that is why I do what I do. Uh, I love telling a story. I love listening to a good story. So um, as you know, I love baseball. That's my upbringing. When I was a little boy, my granddad took me to the ballpark to play ball. And in fact, I have a, uh, you can't see it. Well, you can see it, Mark, yeah. but this was yeah. my first glove when I was a little boy. <laughs> and this was actually my, my uncle's glove from the 1950s, my granddad's son's glove. So this glove's like from the 50s, and, <laughs> nice. and in the 70s, I had to go play with this, which 
technically wasn't very efficient and it was also embarrassing. And um, I tried to lose it. I tried oh, really? to tell my granddad that I lost it. And, uh, and the reason was because I was embarrassed. It was an old, it wasn't a cool new Rawlings or a Wilson. And I thought that if I lost a glove, I'd get one of those cool new ones that all the other kids had. And, and my yeah. granddad, he found where I had lost it. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so I, I learned that lesson. You know, and um, and I've always had this ever since, and it it's so dear to me. I've had a million. I've had fifty brand new gloves. I got five brand new gloves in the garage that I've never broke out of the box. But <laughs> that one is in my office with me. So, uh, so I love baseball. Have been playing all along since I was uh, a young boy, and I, I always think that there's something that grabs you, and it we. we passion is a great a passion is a great word to use and and i think what is yours and so mine would be baseball and it's followed me or i've followed it uh ever since i was that eight-year-old boy and, and i enjoyed playing it i enjoyed studying it i still enjoy studying it i enjoy viewing it i enjoy observing it I played all the way through high school, went on, got a college scholarship, played college ball after college was taken and selected by the Mariners, went out and played with the Mariners in the minor leagues, traded to the Astros, became an Astro in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. And then after I got done playing, scouted and coached in the minor leagues and then became an executive for the Astros all the way through until I followed a girl into a building to ask for a date and it was a theater and I saw what they were doing. And I was like very taken with what they were doing. And I was like, there, that's my, my people. Uh, look what they're doing. I can do that, which it couldn't do. And uh, I thought I could, I thought I could. So then I, you know, I took some time and, and, and uh, I got fired from the Astros actually they didn't say it was being fired. They said, we're just not rehiring you because we think we know something you don't. And that is this passion you have, you should pursue it. And if you stay in baseball, you'll never will. Cause baseball is also a pursuit and all encompassing lifestyle. So sure. they, they kind of kicked me out of the nest and I decided one of the few times to listen to somebody in my life, take their advice. And I did pursue it, went to Brooklyn college and learned, about acting and how to do it. And then came back to Houston and just started floundering in local theater, like garage theater, like sure. community theater, like dinner theater, like, and then doing small plays until um, the smaller Lord House Theater recognized my skills. And then the bigger theater in town, the big professional theater recognized my skills. So. I um, got the opportunities to work at, at higher levels towards professional. And I never really got the opportunity to go out and do commercials very much. This was in Houston, Texas, yeah. because I was kind of Houston was sort of what they called the mid middle America, a market. And it was very uh, at that time, it was very cookie cutter, straight, uh, uh, very, uh, Anglo, very trustworthy, yeah. very kind of, we used to call them, uh, jock, you know, and, uh, you know, 
and so it was uh, it was interesting that that I couldn't get any any work that way, and in the on film I couldn't get any work on film, and so I was just doing theater, and finally a New York director um, uh, uh, hired me to do a commercial, and that's about the time that uh, that Walker Texas Ranger. Uh, requested me to come in and audition and they were they were uh kind enough to give me a an opportunity to do that show and i i started you know taking off in the film and television world but uh yeah i had to be selected by somebody out of new york city that was sort of out of the box thinking uh a director who still directs today he's does he does film and television named matt harrison and it was just a local, it was a Texas lottery commercial, but it was a cool spot and people took notice of me. And then the people at Walker said, bring that kid down here and let's see if he and Chuck could be good. <laughs> the, the thing about that show, Mark, is that, you know, Chuck isn't the most, uh, he's not the tallest guy on the set. Sure. And and so um, there's a mark when you walk into audition in the casting directors, when you walk through the doorway, and if you're above that mark by too much, you're not getting hired. Ooh, it, okay. It's based on you're too tall, and uh, so too tall is not a good thing in in that. <laughs> it's really good on the uh, you know playground, choosing up sides on the basketball team. It's really bad for a Walker Texas Ranger audition. I'm sure for me, the it would not be so much the height line. It'd be a width line. You know, I'd walk in, they go, no, that guy's just, his shoulders are just too big. We need somebody yeah, else. <laughs> they don't, they like that. Cause you know, the big, the wider they are, the, the more they fall for Chuck. Um, now that being said, by the way, I have to, uh, I, I have to put a, a asterisk by that statement because there's a new Walker, Texas Ranger coming out this year. Yeah. And uh, that gentleman, Mr. Palecki, Jared, I think, is yeah. he's he's got some height, so he we don't have to worry. Six foot, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, <laughs> you're in the game. Uh, yeah. So uh, maybe 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 even you might be too short. Maybe if you're not tall enough, like going on a ride, you don't get to do the the, the Walker experience nowadays. Maybe all the tall guys they didn't cast get it should get a chance. <laughs> of course, they'd be seventy, but you know. Well. I love that you're talking about how you broke into the industry. And before we get there, there is a, a fan question I wanted to uh, nice. to get to our, our first fan question of the night. So when digging through some of these old photos yours, uh, oh, one of our right. fans pointed out that they you had a, a photo that mentioned a late afternoon with Charlie Sheen and ah. and uh, getting to to hang out with him. And so I was interested to hear about that story. That's kind of how it all started, interestingly, because I was working with the Astros and I was uh, I was scouting and I was an executive and somehow uh, word. And this was in the old Astrodome days. This is yeah. before Minute Maid Field. This is before the Astros, you know, garbage ball, garbage can and everything. This is still back where we were. Uh, we were good, but we were always a second place runner up to the, the Giants or the Dodgers in, in the National League West division back in those yeah. days. And yeah. so there was a guy that I was to meet. I was to bring a bag of balls and I was to bring uh, my uniform and some bats and gloves. 
And I went down there thinking I was going to uh, do a tryout for somebody that I was going to be, you know, some wealthy person's kid. And it ended up being Charlie Sheen. And he was in town doing a movie called The Chase. And he wanted to prepare for Major League Two. And so he would he would lease the Astrodome every night after they filmed and work out. And I was his workout partner. So we hung (laughs) we hung out. And we played and and worked out a lot in baseball. And then I got to kind of experience this like Hollywood movie star. Um, And he had a birthday party. And at that birthday party, two guys, uh, 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 Bob, Bob Deere and Irby Smith came to his birthday party. And they were doing a movie called Angels in the Outfield in for Disney in in Los Angeles and Oakland. And they said, Lou, why don't you come do our movie? Don't go do Charlie's because uh, you're just going to be his caddy. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, go stand on your own two feet for us. And I'm like, yeah. And so I did do their movie. And I think I only have one line. And I played a lot of catch with Matthew McConaughey yeah. and, and taught him to throw. And Adrian Brody can't be taught to throw. He just doesn't have the, <laughs> the athleticism. Uh, but the uh, but that was when uh, my team, the Astros, were sold yet yeah. again, and there was a new general manager by the name of Bob Watson, the guy that had played for the Astros, and I knew Bob really well, and I was really happy he was taking over. But he called me, "Lou, baby, uh, hey, this bull, Bob Watson, you don't have to hurry back because I'd taken all these accrued vacation days," and I was like, yeah. "Oh, I know what that means." So I did hurry back, and that's when he was the guy that said, "I think." you should pursue this acting thing. And yeah. keep in mind, I was a glorified extra on Angels in the Outfield. There was no reason to say, I think you should pursue this acting thing. But sure. I think that people saw in me about what I had done as a baseball player and what I had been as a professional in that world and recognized what my fortitude was and my passion. So. Uh, they saw that in me maybe as acting went too. And they're like, if he could do it in baseball, that little guy, he could probably do it in acting too. And he should give it a try. Uh, You know, I don't know if we take the time or interest in people. We should, uh, because that type of support's always been fuel for me. So Charlie Sheen never really helped me once I came to Hollywood, maybe he returned one or two calls. He wanted me to go play in the league that he played in. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but in a weird way, maybe he kind of got me spirited to be an actor. You know, he yeah. loved just the fact that we were baseball guys and we could, you know, throw and I knew all the players and had played. And, and I loved the fact that, that he knew Emilio Estevez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, I actually, I, mean, yeah. I like Charlie. I thought he was a great dude. It was, it was well before his, uh, um, alternate lifestyle, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But yeah. yeah, there's a great picture of me. I think I'm, I'd been catching Charlie in a bullpen and, and he and I were sweaty and we just got done working out we got Astro gear on and, <laughs> yeah. and and I, I think if I were to post that picture again, I would say cheaters just because we were wearing Astro stuff. And I'm, I'm sure that I've, I've uh, uh, cheated death 
And I think Charlie has two. How's that? And so <laughs> we might be cheaters. Well, looking at some of your photos here, Lou, when you've, I've heard you say this before too, um, whether it was at a con or in an interview that, you know, these are my people. And it seems like wherever I see you in a photo, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, some of these acting or some of these productions are on, I definitely always get that vibe. Like, yeah, these are my people. Like, I, it, it looks like no matter who you're with, you're with family. And yeah. And I imagine that's got to make the job that much more fulfilling, you know, whether it's, you know, voice acting, doing stuff for video games, uh, you know, TV, film. I mean, you look like you're having a blast anywhere you go. Yeah, I think it's really, it's hard or difficult if you're not, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you're not having fun, it is work. And that's the last thing you want it to be, you, you know, you want, you want to find joy in everything, even chores or taking out the garbage or homework or, or, you know, what we call work. And somehow our task is to change it from work, that ugly word to fun, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know how you go about doing that, but I've always tried and uh, I love people. I love talking. And so if uh if i can get in a conversation with somebody that that's a, a lot of joy for me and and it's it's not i found it's not that hard to to have a conversation people like to, to talk and they like to listen believe it or not and um i think when you give yourself a chance to be somebody's friend or at least a a, uh, a partner in a conversation you'll be surprised how often um you'll be spirited, enthused and, and fulfilled with that. And so I'm, I'm always, I'm never having an expectation, but I'm always looking for an opportunity to be surprised. Um, yeah. And so I, I do, I have a lot of fun uh, on set. Uh, it's work. I know we're showing up to do a job. It's a lot of work. Um, when I say work, I mean, it's, there's a task at hand. We're not, given a lot of time to do it and there's a lot yeah. to do in a short time. It's, it's eastbound and down every day. You know, we got a long yeah. way to go in a short time to get there, but uh, with grace and with uh, joy, uh, you can make it better. And usually that will help the, the process and getting it not just completed, but done really well. And so, yeah. And in the pictures that I do post, I try to post with others to let, the world know that others are having a good time too and that uh yeah. this is fun or this is cool you know it's really cool uh to take a picture um with someone that's that's candid that you know doesn't you know get to take those kind of pictures you know it's not every day you get to take a picture with billy gibbons when you're sitting at a bar you know <laughs> have doing shots of tequila and um <laughs> that looks like a lot of fun and it is and, and, it sh and it should be, you know? Yeah. And so I, I don't mind, you know, posting those again to share, not to say, Hey, look at me. Um, yeah. Invariably somebody else will post a picture of them and Billy Gibbons and it'll be even cooler. And I'll be like, all right, that's great. <laughs> that's exactly the response I wanted, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, or I like to present when I do post, 
kind of an existential thought, something that's subtextually more, I want you to think about what you're seeing beyond what you're seeing, you know? Yeah. I want you to have a sense of, so sometimes like right now I'm doing a little posting, a series, I took a trip to New York with my family and I'm posting New York, but adding uh, songs to it. And typically yeah, yeah. they're New York based songs, but just something to um, elicit a thought, a memory, a feeling, uh, you know, everybody's talking at me, Harry Nielsen. Yeah. You know, you're walking down the streets of New York. It's perfect, right? You know, I mean, you're just immediately Midnight Cowboy. And then somebody will think, oh, I love that song. And I love New York. And that reminds me of George Benson, New York. Or that reminds me of Rihanna, New York. Or, you know, Sinatra, New York. Or Billy Joel, New York State of Mind. Or, you know, yeah. however that goes. And I'm just trying to get people to think a little outside the box. Now, that being said, I've used the word posting a lot. So clearly you're, it's not like I'm sending uh, digital di dissection, personal photos like, hey, take a look at these, Mark. Uh, <laughs> you're seeing them through, my po through posting. And um, I do that. Uh, I'm a little handicapped with that because I'm not on Instagram anymore. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, what happened was I got fished. Do you know that term? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yep. like uh, there was a, an incident where I got a message on my DM, I suppose. Uh, sure. You're in violation of our terms. If you don't talk to us about that within 24 hours, we're going to shut your account down. And it looked exactly like an Instagram official. It had the insignia. And of course, I just... I did it. And the minute I clicked on the link, I lost my, my account to oh, someone wow. stole it. And so they in turn used my verified account to go out to 500,000 verified celebrity types as Lou Temple doing the same thing, fishing them. Oh. So I reported it to Instagram, Instagram fixed it. And they said, we're sorry, we got your account back. But then shortly after they, we retrieved it, the, 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 the how 2001 space odyssey the algorithm that is instagram <laughs> shut me down for the same reason and it just wow. became this like technical so i'm like that's an ai thing yeah and, and instagram's like it is we're trying to recover it from our algorithm they call it an algorithm yeah I'm like you you don't have any control uh, <laughs> it, it's it did what it wanted Twitter suffers the same thing. Twitter has like, the same yeah. problem, yeah. So I haven't re I haven't recovered Instagram, nor have I rebuilt an Instagram. Not because I'm overly upset about anything. I'm just like, ah, why bother? So I do post on Twitter uh, a Facebook fan page, and believe it or not, LinkedIn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I find for any of you business folk out there, I find LinkedIn to be like the business savvy uh you know if you want to if you want to build something or get a job or you know linkedin you're not gonna well i don't know i mean i think i like twitter because you can say things on twitter and yeah you can make a statement on twitter maybe more than the picture sure i'm yeah. not sure i i look i have nothing against instagram i just don't do it 
I'm waiting for the next to be on Instagram, Instagram 2.0, Insta hologram. That's what I'm waiting for. Hologram, not Instagram hologram. Let's, let's build it Lou. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Uh, what, what I wanted to uh, actually kind of weave in here because we've got a good segue to it would actually be a little bit more about your journey, uh, you know, in your career, because um, you've got a lot of fans that have followed you throughout your, your horror films, right. And, and working with Rob Zombie. Um, and I know you've talked a lot about that relationship, but our, our fan question for this relates directly to how you turned into the horror genre. And if your preparation had changed as an actor, uh, you know, shifting into that. So that, curious to know that's about a great that. question. Whoever asked that question should maybe is a college professor. That could be, uh, <laughs> that could be a writing assignment. Um, let's make that a writing assignment for the, uh, U- university of digital dissection. Uh, <laughs> I had never, I had been a whore, uh, aware, person i I had watched horror movies like any kid dawn of the dead most of my horror things were kind of the creature features frankenstein dracula the wolfman um i've done the basics maybe texas chainsaw massacre which blew my mind scared the hell out of me um but i wasn't what you'd say an aficionado so i had been in texas and i had uh, booked a movie with a casting director named Monica Mickelson, who always remembered me. It was a movie called Serving Sarah with Matthew Perry. And um, oh, I'm trying to think of the British lady's name. She was really, she used to date Hugh Grant. She was really attractive uh, way back in the day. Um, anyway, I ended up not doing that movie. I got sick and couldn't do that movie, and I was replaced by Mike Judge. But Monica Mickelson, the casting director, never forgot me, and when I moved to Hollywood, she brought me in to read for this movie called The Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Uh, So she sent me the script, I read it, and it. I was like, I've never read anything like this, I don't even know, this is crazy, who who would do this? And, but, you know, I'm an actor in Hollywood, and so I I stand and deliver, so I, I went in and auditioned, and impressed Rob. And so, but when I went in, it was really cool because Steve's Elizabeth Hurley is the lady's name. Oh, yep. Yep. Uh, Now, Steve Zahn was auditioning for Devil's Rejects, uh, Jeremy Davies. These were two guys that I really liked and respected and a bunch of other like cats here in Hollywood. And I I hadn't really landed yet, so I wasn't. Sure. And I'd seen all of their work. I was like, wow, this must be better than I thought. And so then I got word from Monica, hey, Rob really liked you. And then I was like, oh, my God. And then she called again. She said, yeah, you're it. You're you're getting an offer for Adam Banjo to do this job. And I freaked out. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no. And I called a friend of mine named Walton Goggins, who's another Southern fella, a great actor, who had done House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. I said, hey, I'm a good Christian boy from the South, and this devil worshiper wants to hire me. And uh, he laughed. He did exactly what you were doing. And he said, hey, uh, do yourself a favor. Shut up and go do that job. You'll have a great time. It'll be wonderful artistic experience, and you'll have a friend for life. And those were true words. Um, that was my 
introduction to getting hired. Then we went to the table read with this group of veteran actors from the genre in Bill Mosley and Sid yeah. Haig, God rest his soul and William Forsyth and Ken Foray. Mm -hmm. And there was something different about what they were doing. They were leaning into everybody's personal space and ever so slightly when they were talking and doing their work, they were kind of really yeah. creeping into your world. And it was, it was unnerving and I recognized it and I watched them work and I learned a lot about what horror, like real horror acting is. Don't just be loud. Don't be mean. Don't be scary, but really yeah. do the thing that is invasive, which is what they do. And it's such a rare quality. And so I got through a blessing to have that, exposure and and one of the things that i've always been is aware i'm a mm -hmm. I'm good at observation i was as a player because i had to learn to survive in that game and i yep. i was as a scout because i was looking for players i had to observe them to see what their projected talents could be mm -hmm. and so i observed these actors and i learned from jeffrey lewis and 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 sid haig and will bill forsyth and especially bill bill mosley and, uh, and I'm grateful for that. So, yes, um, that that was there is a different tone when it's really good horror acting, when it's yeah. really at the it's it's pinnacle. There is a different approach. There's a different invasion of space. It's less about you and more about you. It's more yeah. about you. And it 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 makes you kind of, it pushes you away, but then it brings you back in. So it's yeah. really great. It's really great. So that, that Devil's Rejects, I, uh, I had never wanted to get into horror movies or I'd never pursued horror movies. I'd never thought about horror movies. And then of course I got the opportunity through Rob Zombie and I recognized that and I recognized what it was. And Bill Mosley would tell me, he said, hey, look, in horror movies, you get the opportunity to expand on the character, not just build, but go beyond building the character. And, and, uh, and oftentimes, you know, studio, uh, you know, action stuff, you, you, you might not get that chance to fill in what, what the horror genre allows you to. So I, I respect it. And, and of course, then going back to the fans or as I call them, the audience, yeah. um, they're so, well-versed and loyal. And so I think uh, you can't, can't dismiss that or deny it. And uh, I'm very appreciative actually, but I've never got into it thinking I'm a baseball guy and that, that equates to horror movies, you know, <laughs> uh, baseball and country Western singing. Hell yes. But uh, baseball and horror movies, maybe not so much, although they both, you know, bats and Negan make, uh, good bedfellows, right? <laughs> well, you're getting into something that I, I actually wrote in my notes right when I first got the opportunity to, to, to talk to you. And it's really the fact that the art of dying is something that Lou Temple does with style. And I, I've, I mean, you've been killed off by Arlie Ermey, Michael Madsen, I mean, Halle Berry, even Sean Bean, who dies buying groceries, took a shot at you. And part of this ties into what I've heard you mention a couple times about honoring characters that 
you specifically honor, you know, the deaths of characters and that it's a privilege to honor people who have passed away, you know, in, in life as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I'd love to hear more about how you honor, you know, your, your Thanks characters. Thanks for bringing that up. Cause, because it's, I, I find it important and unfortunately, or depending on where you're at in philosophical or spiritual matters, some will say in good fortune, cause you go to a better place, but mm -hmm. we all go through this, the, the end of days. And so, um, I find that honoring some somebody somebody's death, it, it it's an honor to be present in that form, um, and that if you're there to help them or make it easier, then. Um, you get something from that. Maybe it's a gift or maybe, maybe it's just something that you carry with you down the line. Mm -hmm. uh, so I look at my characters and instead of just the cursory fiery crash and, and burn, I like to give them their moment in death, wherever that may be or how it may be. Mm -hmm. And, um, at least on a reflective standpoint, my preparation. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a goodbye. And I think it's honest and integral and real. And, and I want, I want to do that justice always. Uh, it's really disappointing when you're on a number one television show and you get a call that you're, you're going to take a bullet to the head next week. It's really, it's soul crushing. It's deflating, but you must get through that and you must do a good job for your character. You must sure. honor your character with respect and, and integrity and do the best job for, because everyone else is, is, is observing and they're viewing that and they want to honor the character and through you, they, they have to get that opportunity. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, I've thought about Mark putting out a coffee table book called all of me. Why not take all of me? I have died in so many ways and you're right. Sean Bean, um, uh, you know, I've gotten, uh, Michael Myers has taken me out. Leatherface has taken me out. Um, uh, you know, I think I, I guess I need Freddy Krueger and I, I need, uh, I need Jason. Um, but, uh, you know, Halle Berry's not bad fare to get taken out with. And, uh, um, so there's been, there's been so many and so often, uh, that I think if I just was a guy that just, I actually think that maybe a guy like Sean, has a sense of integrity and artistry about dying mm -hmm. and maybe he gets hired to do that better than most yeah oh yeah and it's it's like a it's kind of like a recurring joke at this point right like if sean beads in a movie you just don't get too attached right and and yeah. And, and you've kind of got that same reputation. Exactly. In a sense. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'm a poor man. Maybe if I can die with some integrity, maybe I'm hired to do a good turn for a good character as well. So sometimes 
uh, particularly my family will go, hey, you didn't die in this one. And I'm like, I know, isn't that great? Well, you damn near were the hero because you didn't die. I mean, this movie must be about you. And everybody has a good laugh, but uh, well, yeah. In the show notes for this episode, Lou, we're going to put uh, the website that actually tracks what properties you've died in because there's a collective list it's all there and so um hilarious yeah well <laughs> i'll share that with you <laughs> yeah that's fantastic you, it just goes to show you there is an analytic for anything <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh you know i've i used to well i used to see, you know read a script and go oh i die in this one Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, I die in this one. Well, you know what? First of all, not many of us have died. Some of us have had that experience and come back. Um, but we're near death experiences. But so it requires there. Look, there's uh, there's not a lot of um, right or wrong. And it requires a lot of imagination and it requires part of that terror of imagination or mm -hmm. it were i choose to make it the other way maybe occasionally poetic mm -hmm. um my favorite dying scene in colors is robert duvall just his death was so poetic and mm -hmm. quiet and uh i think that's just alarming and heart-wrenching oh you know um sure i when I was a little boy, it struck me that Frosty went into that greenhouse and didn't come out, and that he was just this puddle. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me. I, as a little boy, I never got over that. Where'd he go? Oh, no. Yeah. Is that him, that water? Oh, man. And I've always looked at blood that way. Is is that's your that's your first home run in Little League? That's your first kiss? That's your your first job? That's your first kid? That's all. Everything is that blood coming out of you because you you know when you're laying there you can't put it back in. You try. You know sometimes you'll see me in a scene trying to stop the bleeding or put it you know put it back in because I recognize what it is. It's your life. You, that's all you are is that blood. And. Uh, so that's sort of what I look at poetically. Thank you. That's a good question. Was that yeah. your question? Be honest. No, no. These are these are questions from from uh, fans that are responding. When so before we do the show, we'll we'll ask you know, hey, if you've got questions, we want to hear them. Send them on in, and and uh, so we we filter these for quality, Lou. Absolutely. Um, I, and <laughs> I can tell because that that's a quality question. Yeah. Well, the the next thing I want to talk to you about because obviously you know Walking Dead's a big part of your career too, but. I wanted to ask you about the legend of a live action animated movie called Rango. And it, when we talk about the untold stories, this one, some folks don't know about, um, you know, you get to obviously work with, with Johnny Depp on this, on this movie, but it's, it's a movie that ended up being animated, but the actors did the, the actual production. You actually did act these things out. We made a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, entirely. So we, we, uh, you know, we all had to go through the process of, you know, auditioning for our roles. And um, I didn't know Gore Verbinski. I, when I had done Domino for with Kira Knightley, she had brought me to meet Gore Verbinski, who she thought I would be good in the pirate series. And I met him and he took 
her word for it. And he offered me a job that my agents passed on. So I really could have been in pirates and probably oh, wow. had a better house. And I don't have those agents anymore, by the way. But um, <laughs> wow. uh, so when Gore came around Durango, uh, he remembered and he brought me in. And I really wanted this particular role, um, uh, the, the, the mouse that, uh, uh, the spoons, the mouse. And, and I kept pushing Gore and he's like, no, I got this other guy that I wanted you to do, Mr. Fergus. <laughs> and I had always remembered a, again, childhood memories. You don't, you get, don't underestimate your childhood and give it as much credit as you can because it is there for a treasure chest for you to hearken on later, of which mm -hmm. I do all the time. It is your imagination treasure chest. And so as an actor, I do nothing but go into my imagination and look for things. And sure. uh, one of which is, is that is a animated, um, record that I used to listen to called Robin Hood. It was the Disney present presentation. Uh, uh, Oolali, golly, what a day. Uh, and it had a guy named Pat Buttram and he was playing the sheriff of Nottingham. Oolali, oolali, golly, what a day. And I just always loved that voice, Pat Buttram. And so I decided to do that voice for Rango. It's Mr. Fergus down at the general store. <laughs> this Mr. Merrimack was keeping all the water. I got no credit with him, Beans. And so that was great. And then I remember a show I watched growing up called Petticoat Junction. And um, there was a guy named, um, he was uh, uh, Uncle Joe in uh, Petticoat Junction. I always wanted to do his voice, too. So I got to do uh, uh, Sergeant Turley, just a little conjunctivitis, sir. Uh, don't mind. <laughs> um, it's a family. It's not contagious. Um, and so that was great. So, yes, we and we we worked all through the animation of that project by acting for the animators. It, Gore filmed it on, on film and we had sets. We had a wardrobe. We had, um, you know, we were filmed. We were off book. You know, Johnny didn't realize he brought a script. He's like, hey, we just re well, I got to know all the oh, man. And he had the line load. Right. And we would do these dances and we had to walk around like our animals and and yeah. have that certain little bop about us that our, our character would. And it was one of the most enjoyable experiences that I've ever had. Uh, yeah. And so I'm um, I'm so grateful. And by the way, I don't have to tell you, uh, Gore's goal was to not Pixar off of the box, off of their box, their podium. Yeah. And we did. We won an Oscar. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and it's and, great. You know, looking yeah. at the movie, you can you know why. It's so cinematic. Oh, it's a it's, beautiful movie. It's, it's so yeah. good. And it's so rich in double entendre and adult story. <laughs> You know, it really is. And uh, we just really, dang, we had such a good time doing it. And everybody's so good in it, by the way. Uh, yeah, Rango is, uh, I think, one of my, I don't know, one of my favorite experiences on a movie set for 
sorry about that, for all the reasons uh, that I just mentioned, but also because it's so damn good. Yeah. I mean, it's really good as an animated movie, and it still holds up. You know, during the pandemic, it played a lot, obviously, because you're playing animated stuff for the kids. And yeah. um, it's still good. You know, it's still, uh, it, it was, it was amazing. And to watch people, well, some interesting things are that um, Bill Nye had never done an American accent before. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time he'd ever done an American accent. Um, uh, what else was interesting about that? Uh, Stephen Root is hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, and, he made every day just a, a lot of fun. My daughter was just born. Oh, actually she was like a year and a half or two. And Abigail Breslin used to come and watch her a little bit on set. Yeah. Yeah, That was super cool. I went on to do a movie with Abigail called wicked blood later. You know, Abigail was just a young girl. And then all of a sudden now I'm doing a movie and she's a teenager with her. Yeah, uh, which, which is amazing. And um, yeah, just so many cool things with that that film. And it was such a powerhouse talent from Isla Fisher to, well, this guy named Johnny Depp, who I later went to work for uh, in Lone Ranger as well. And so yeah. to get to see Johnny work, like his process and again, observe, we were talking about like, it's just fun to observe. And he's one of the, the best to observe. If you watch, you just get such a education. It's great. Yeah. And Denzel Washington is another guy in that same vein. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And so I, I think, you know, when you get ex- the experience to be around the Giants, it, you should watch. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, you should yeah. take yeah. note uh, and, and be and be marveled. It's good to be impressed in life. It's good to have your head explode over somebody else's talent. It's, it's good to meet your heroes. It's good to go up and say hello. It, regardless, it's good to tell somebody you really appreciate. You like, I'm a fan. It's yeah. good. You know, I, yeah. I think I don't want to bother them or I don't want to infringe on their privacy. You know, poo. You know, you got something to say, you should tell people. And, you know, I receive that all the time. And people, they must tell me what happened when Axel got killed at that <laughs> night. They have to, there, it's a pilgrimage for them to tell me how I threw my remote and it ended up in the, it ended up in the fish tank. And, um, you know, uh, you know, so I recognize all those things. But, yeah, thank you for bringing Rango up. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if this works, but. Uh, can you see Rango? Oh yeah. Yeah. So just to describe it for the folks at home. Wow. I just get to see like a, an art piece of Rango on, on Lou's wall there. (laughs) I, I I absolutely love that movie. Um, my, my son loves the movie too. And I'm sure one day my daughter's going to love it just as much. Cause anybody, my daughter got a little fearful at rattlesnake Jake and she was just at the age when it came out, let's say four, four ish. Yeah, that if that four to five, because it is, you know, the the animation is so good. It's kind of real and uh, it could be a little scary. There's an intensity to it. Yeah, for kids, for sure, because it 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 does feel like it's a film that's 
yeah, let's put it this way. If, if you remember what a PG rated film was in the eighties, yeah. you know, this, this kind of feels like that type of vibe where it's, it's still a kid's movie, right? But it's, you know, it's a little bit more intense than, than your average one. And so I, I think there's a lot of value in it either way, but um, speaking of walking dead, I, we both knew we were going to get there at some point and it does lead into yet another fan question. Um, so, Fans have actually been very interested in how you prep for roles. Um, oh, and I think, I think it's because of the diversity and the range that you've displayed, right? Yeah. Right. So, it should be, yeah. yeah. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't be ever uh, the same old thing, you know, like uh, I've got a suitcase right there and it's all my bag of tricks. And I, I recognized early on that that's not, that's where I was heading as a colloquial Southern guy. And that's yeah. not where I wanted to stay because I thought it would uh, limit me. Um, My favorite thing is what I call discovery, not unlike an attorney in preparation Mm -hmm. for a court case. And the discovery is the research that you put in to build the character. So in other words, Mm -hmm. you're building a house, you're building the backstory of this character, which oftentimes is or mostly is not in the script inherently. So you've got to kind of fill in the foundation is there, but it's your time. You, you have to do the drywall and, and, yeah. and paint and do the finish work and the baseboards and the electricity. And so that is when you're going in and, and you're you're looking at what um, what a meth addict really goes through. Uh, where does a me- where do they start? Uh, what are their mannerisms? What are their what are their, uh, you know, flaws? What are their strengths and weaknesses and all these things that can be part of your build and i'm just fascinated with that research i'm just fascinated with that in this office that time that i put in to design that to build to give that person a backstory did he play catch with his dad was his dad not around did he play catch with his mom did he play catch at all did he did he did he like ketchup or was he a mustard guy? All these things, you know, that are that, that are irrelevant, but become so detailed and give your your work specificity. And so that's the discovery, which is my favorite part of what I do. I actually, again, don't really enjoy the performance aspect, the day of the job, as much sure. as I do the rehearsal or the process of getting there. And um uh, I think writers get to do this inherently for a living. You know, they're researching yeah. their, their writing material all the time. Um, I think that that's a great thing uh, to, to in study. In study is a, is a good place to be in life. And so uh, I spend a lot of time doing it and in preparation. And I start with a character intellectually and philosophically I start from the inside out Mm -hmm. and that informs my physicality now someone like Johnny Depp he works the other way he starts from the outside in so Mm -hmm. his is about how the guy stands you know and how the guy's posture is and I think Leo DiCaprio works that way too how does he walk you know, yeah. Tom Hanks is a guy like immediately, what's his dictation? What's his voice sound like? What's his his rate of speech, how he talks, how he lands his words, his syllabic 
uh, yeah. cadence and and everybody has sort of and that's where they start on their work but for me it's more about uh, a mindset that a, a want a need an intellectual uh, uh, what you know I think every character by the way started as a as a child and in innocent you know and kind and sweet and hopeful yeah. and where did it go wrong where did it go wrong for some of the guys that that i end up uh doing on the fringe yeah. uh where in spite of it going wrong where what gives the guy humanity and uh and i'm really into looking for um finding redeeming qualities in my characters these days so easy just to write them off as assholes. Uh, and, and, and so I try not to. I try not to. Universally, I think that the, the response that you mentioned with fans that threw their remotes when, when Axel was, you know, unfortunately, you know, shot from a distance. You know, when, when that happened, the first things that I was thinking of was, for one, you managed to capture what I thought Axel was from the comic books that the comic books didn't have enough time to really get to. And and so the fact that you're delivering this this charismatic speech, you know, you're talking about life, and then suddenly it just disappears. It it didn't just encapsulate Axel really well. It also proved to you what kind of world you're in in The Walking Dead, and and so it was like you've talked about how there's there's you know there's a poetic side to death. This is kind of where I was with this, and it leads into what the audience has asked about in this process was how much input did you have into the creative process behind what happened to Axel? And the second part of this was of course your death party for Axel as well that they want to know about. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Well, uh, I was informed by the showrunner at the time that we, uh, we were, we were in trouble. Um, and I just had a great meeting with him about the future. So I was sure that he wasn't calling me shortly after to have a conversation about uh, the end of the future, uh, sure. but he was. And he said, I'm in a jam. The governor's showing up uh, and either it's the big show or it's a precursor to, to the war. And I'm like, okay. And he said, and you, you're right. You're the bullseye, you're the target because otherwise I've got to take out a regular and I, I think I'm not ready to do that, but we are considering it. There are some series regulars that are also on the list, but mm -hmm. you're on that list and I'm just letting you know. And I'm like, okay, are you letting me know to let me know? Like, I'm going to talk you out of this right now. You do what I call the denial dance. Yeah. And, he, and we, he laughed and I'm, I'm like, what about so-and-so? He's an asshole. Let's get rid of him. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. I get it. All right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, and so he said, I don't know how it's going to go, but it just wanted to let you know. And I'm like, well, so I got to go to bed with this for the next, what, week? He said, probably three weeks. Oh, <laughs> and I wow. said, yeah, I said, okay. So, but thankfully, Andrew Lincoln caught wind because he was, you know, he's our Tom Brady. Sure. Uh, as, and, and, and he went to bat for me with the studio. He said, I really think we should try to keep Axel. And, you know, it got down to the 11th hour to make the decision and I finally got the call and it was me. And I was like, ah, mm -hmm. and then again, I went right into, I got to honor Axel. 
I'm sorry, bud, but I got to honor you and do a good job. How do I do yeah. that? So they were kind and invited me like to come and how, you know, maybe you could give some ideas how you'd like to go out. And I was like, no, the writers, they're good. They know what they're doing. What I would ask is if we could figure out how to do it where it's shocking. I think it'll be great. And mm -hmm. I remember that Zabruder tape. I think it's Zabruder or Zabruder. It's where Kennedy was shot. Yeah. Uh, yep. And the head and how final and shocking it was. And so um, they took that and built it. And on the day, my task was to not play the end of the scene in the front. So I did everything I could in that whole scene to make it seem like it's a happy day. Yeah. You know, getting on with Carol and a little hide and seek and a little flirtation and a little self, uh, you know, tell on myself a little bit and invite her to talk about, you know, and she finally smiles and I'll see, and it's good. And, and look, these two are really getting on and, and they're working together. Oh my God, he's shot. He's dead. Oh my God. And he's in her arms. And yeah. I wanted it to be that she had to, it was in her hands and blood was on her hands and she had to deal with it yeah. in and amongst this, you know, this, not just a tragic moment, but this like uh, intense moment where she had to, you know, cover herself for her life. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just decided to potato sack on her and she, you know, put all my weight <laughs> on her and she had to carry me and down to the ground and then uses me as a shield wisely. And so most of that was all kind of in the moment improv. Yeah. Uh, and it was really great. Um, fun fact, the decision had been made so late that the special effects team was unable to do what they call a life cast, which is when they, they um, build a mold for your face and your head and your, your shoulders that they can put on a mannequin that sure. you could, you know, that you, you can take all the bullet hits. So you, it's not, it doesn't have to be you, obviously. Yeah. Oddly yeah. though, uh, Greg Nicotero, who is the head of special effects and is now, you know, the executive producer and director of this show. He's a great director he bears a certain resemblance in the the pate or the forehead to the nose and sure. so he used his life cast to be axel and man it looked even my wife couldn't tell the difference it was perfect <laughs> nice. and uh so that's actually a, a dummy of nicotero instead of a dummy of lou um the death party was great because the greatest part of the death party is that when the check comes around, it's, you just pass it or it goes right by you. Uh, mine was headed up, uh, interestingly, um, uh, by Stephen Yin. He was kind of the host. Okay, and cool. We had worked a lot, enough, but, you know, um, you know, Norman's always going to kind of be the guest that swans in and makes a big splash. But Stephen did all the arrangements and the details. And we went to a, a very nice restaurant uh, with a private room and everybody was so kindly sad. Sure. And they, you know, so, man, I'm so sorry. And, and mostly I was like, dude, you have no idea how close it was to 
being you. You'd really be sorry if you <laughs> if only you knew. And uh, so it it was great. I think people underestimate the idea like a good team. You start to rely on your teammates and all of a sudden when someone leaves, you realize, hey, we're down a we're down a player. How are we gonna this guy really helped? This guy was important to what we, you know, that thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And we're getting used to him and now he's gone. And it it affects people, you know, it, it's and also the thing about family. I mean, if The Walking Does does anything, it promotes family. And Mm -hmm. uh, that community that it's built amongst itself and its audience as family, um, it hurts when somebody leaves. You know, Lou goes on, but Axel's gone. And Mm -hmm. so there's there's a real palpable grief to that and uh and and i and and the the audience knows that the fans know that they go through it too you know it's Mm -hmm. harsh but it um it works and so i was honored to be invited to be on the show i was honored to participate and to still be part of it in a forever uh you know as a as an interesting character that was very serviceable at the time to the show, you know? So uh, it's been great. It's kind of always the gift that keeps on giving type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually reminds me of, of what the audience was asking about next. I, I've shifted from fan to audience on for, you know, because that's, that's yeah. the term you gave me. We're going to go with it. Yeah. So after your time as Axel, who, you know, was basically, he's the character that, meant well, maybe made some mistakes in his past. But then we shift into the fifth ward with Mayor Bob Coletti. And <sighs> and we kind of flush that down. <laughs> so yeah. so this is this is what happens afterward. What kinds of challenges was there in your headspace moving from an axle to a Bob Coletti? Well it, we just go into a like first of all socioeconomically you just immediately have to change gears in an essence and a tone in from uh, um, from being fringe and wanton to being entitled and powerful. And, um, and so that requires just a different uh, personality trait. You know, you go, you, you start into that a alpha personality, uh, that politician. And so, um, you know, it's quite different. Uh, and I think though, interesting in different ways, you know, it's, it's an interesting character that, um, he just had an agenda and he thought the agenda, Mayor Collette, you know, he's trying to get a football stadium built in Houston. And if that requires, uh, uh, you know, genociding a neighborhood, so be it. And that's a true story in a lot of our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, that was interesting. And again, I'm just trying to serve the logic of what it requires. Look, I'm doing the best, the greater good here is to take this neighborhood out, this low income, um, uh, multicultural um, minority neighborhood and making it a, you know, a point of commerce for the city. Mm-hmm. And th- this is going to be good for us all in the long run. 
not to people I'm mowing down, but that's sure. collateral damage. So, so it, it sort of becomes this uh, alternate guy, maybe. Um, and so again, not trying to, you know, twist, twirl the mustache, and, <laughs> you know, but maybe have a little of the governor, a little ethos and pathos in there with it. But uh, yeah, it, so, it, so what that is, is it's a great challenge to go right from there and into the next guy that is different. You know, sure. he's a, he's, even though it's the same coin in the new temple, it's different, a different side of it for sure. And so yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I, I like that challenge. Well, kind of coming full circle. Uh, we really appreciate you going on this journey with us. And I am right there with you that a lifetime achievement award does not mean we're done. If you look oh, at yeah, if you if you look at your your like your, your IMDb right now, I mean, you've got so much coming up. Um, I, I think when we first reached out to you, you were shooting in Montana, uh, which I believe yeah. is that for the murder at Immigrant Gulch that you were shooting. It for? is, yeah, it's really yeah. fun. It's a great film. That's a western. Of course, I love westerns. Uh, sure. I'll have two coming out this next year. One is Corsicana, uh, which is about Bass Reeves, who was the first African American U.S. marshal who of course at that time in, in 1884, uh, he couldn't get a posse. There were no white guys that would ride with a black uh, marshal. So he <laughs> literally was the original Lone Ranger. And, um, and I, I'm a, a villain or a you know, desperado outlaw that he's chasing down. And so it's, it's, a great, it's a good old fashioned 48 hours, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other Western that I did, this murdered immigrant Gulch is so much fun because it's a, you know, it's a small, small town whodunit and it's a thriller. And of course um, uh, we don't know who did it, but uh, with guys like Gabriel Byrne and Richard Dreyfus and mm -hmm. um, uh, Tom uh, Jane too, right? Thomas Jane. It's yeah. so great. And they're amazing again to watch, to observe. And so, Every now and then I had to catch myself and say, oh, shoot, I'm in this scene. I better I better do my part. <laughs> and uh, of which I do that as a, a, a uh, kind of a bully uh, gambler, uh, shyster who uh, who is always looking to to exploit and take advantage of the situations. And um, it, it was a lot of fun. It was just great. Montana's an incredible country. And then yeah. um, I've just returned from a really cool job. I think I can talk about it, not a lot, but it's called Rosaline and Juliet. And it's okay. basically another take on Romeo and Juliet. And Romeo had a, a, a girlfriend before Juliet, and it was Juliet's cousin, Rosaline. And uh, had he stayed with her, he might have lived. So she, um, it, it really focuses on her and, and him dumping her. And it's a comedy, and it's great. And oh, got cool. to work with uh, Bradley Whitford and Mini Driver. And uh, we did that in Italy, in Rome. That was so beautiful. That's uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, I got to see some. So so you'll be seeing some postings about the Colosseum, the Vatican, uh, yeah. the Pope giving uh, his papal address, uh, the Pantheon. Um, you know, those kinds of things that people all know about. But when in Rome, right? You got to do, do it. And so, I'm uh, I'm excited for the future, um, which is tomorrow. 
uh, something great is going to happen. I'd leave that audience, uh, my question or my challenge uh, is, uh, is to wake up and before you do anything, say thank you. See how many days in a row you can do it. It's hard or mm -hmm. difficult. Hard is uh, construction work. Uh, mm -hmm. It's difficult. That's a task. When your feet hit the floor, say thank you and, and see if you can do it two days in a row. And, um, and that's pretty cool. And, uh, and then um, look for great opportunities that are actually available. I think I've come a long way and had a lot of opportunity because I have somehow been able to remove blinders that keep me stuck in my own way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even though you have a lot of difficulty and we do in life, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of gifts too. And if we just can see past what we think are uh, problems and uh, maybe change the word uh, if you can in your dialect from problem to practice it's not a problem my cell phone bill it's a practice and mm -hmm. I get to practice it every month and I'm just getting better at it and so um, make your problems be practices and uh, and you'll go far <laughs> So Joe, did you did you learn a thing or two about uh, how Lou Temple celebrates the many characters he's had to say goodbye to? Yeah, it's it's really interesting how much he really really cares about the roles he takes on, as well as his methods and how they differ from other actors, and also how well he knows how other actors like get into their characters. And of course, his his love for his animated film career and how he got his voices was probably my favorite part of this interview. <laughs> Isn't it funny how uh, a lot of voice actors tend to base their voices off of people they grew up loving, you know? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I almost fell out of my seat laughing when when Lou started talking like this, you know? <laughs> Just like, like holy, holy crap! But. But, but seriously, like for a guy who has been in a lot of horror movies, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that I wasn't expecting this because I've, I've I've seen Lou Temple's interviews and everything. He's just a sweet, sweet man. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, dude, he, he was, uh, I, I will say this. I was kind of down that week when I interviewed Lou and, and uh, some things had happened. And like after talking to him, uh, just really gave me like a completely refreshed perspective on things. And and uh, hopefully folks really enjoy that time uh, that we get to spend with them. But, Joe, it is another conclusion, which means... <gasps> Shoutouts from the Twitterverse! Tweet, tweet! We're doing it again. There's no, there's no good way to echo a tweet, tweet, is there? Like, there's nothing... <laughs> it's just the tweeting. Yeah, maybe one day when we get better equipment or something, you know, we can get those effects. But right now, we, yep. we can't really do it. No, no, uh, right now the yeah. uh, the sixty dollar Amazon mics are, are you know pulling their weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, the, our first shout out for this week 
it's actually about the BKS show, uh, who you can find at the BKS show on Twitter. So basically, it's three lifelong friends from the Philadelphia area, and they talk a wide variety of topics every week. Uh, one week, I actually remember hearing about like tornado safety, and oh. uh, and then it, then it shifts into sports for a bit. Then we're talking about men's health for a minute. Uh, right. So. <laughs> Joe, you can seriously listen into this show at any time, and every week's going to feel different. Like every week is going to be like completely different original content, and I mean it's it's refreshing from that standpoint. Yeah, right? fantastic. I, mean, I I wish I would have heard it um, back when we showed up on another podcast and I had to leave mid <laughs> mid recording because of a tornado <laughs> warning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been helpful, man. Uh, the reason why we wanted to call uh, extra attention to the BKS show as well, uh, they are friends of the podcast, and they're just getting back from a brief hiatus. Um, so they could definitely use your support if you could check them out for us and let them know we sent you. Um, so welcome back, guys. It's, it's good to have you back in the saddle. Yeah, another uh, podcast I give a shout-out to is the Dad Needs to Talk podcast with a man only known as Rob. And Rob likes to discuss his life, fatherhood, anime, gaming, tech, and self-investment. And I can say, at least uh, when it comes to this podcast, you know, that's, uh, what, two out of five ain't bad for similarities between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We, we avoid fatherhood, not because uh, of, like, Mori Povich and finding out that we're not. It's mm -hmm. uh, just because that's not what we do here. We don't really talk about that all that much, but... You know, Rob does this really well because, yes, there's a lot of things going on here, but there's a really, really good balance. And I think what I love the most about Rob's show is that when when he starts off one of his episodes, he takes a little bit of time to get caught up on, you know, the personal side of the mic. And um, I remember one episode in particular where it was very touching, where he talks about um, losing his mother. And I believe he actually lost his sister, like, within, like, the same year, very Ooh. close together. Um and to hear his poise and and his his just his advice and i mean there's a lot of good stuff that that, that rob is talking about week in and week out and, and so yeah you get a little bit of life advice you get a little bit of entertainment news and and it's just a really really fun balance um and uh our show and and rob's um are part of the in nerd circle if you've uh, ever seen that hashtag on twitter <laughs> so we're there, there are many of us outside of just these two shows. So um, if you ever see that link, go ahead and take a click on it or type it into Twitter. That's once again, hashtag in nerd circle. And you'll find many uh, shows like ours about gaming, um, comic books. I mean, TV shows, movies, you name it. There's a ton going on there. Um, but yeah, Joe, I think for our last shout out, what we'll do here is mention one of our friends uh, from one of the uh, networks we're part of called quite the thing media oh yes um if you remember joe quite the thing media is a glasgow based uh you know podcast crew and mm -hmm. we we actually joined up with them uh i want to say at least it was like maybe a couple months ago um so we're part of a very diverse group of of uh podcasts that do everything from true crime uh some of it is video game related um sports i mean you you name it there's a lot of great content that we mm -hmm. we rub elbows with there but one of our newest members in that group is the she will rock you podcast 
which uh, we're very happy to introduce is they celebrate new artists and bands every episode. Um, if you take a look at their, their website, um, what their mission is basically to do here is to look to offer fresh perspectives from fans who just love rock music. Um, and the hosts of this show weren't alive when some of their favorite rock bands first came out. Um, specifically, they mentioned uh, Fleetwood Mac is like one of their favorite bands. And I'm like, you know what? I wasn't even doing much yet when they no, came out. No, I got nothing. <laughs> Definitely not there. Heck, Star-Lord wasn't even there. He doesn't remember that at all. He just got the cassette. Yeah, yeah, the cassette tapes that oddly have music that he shouldn't have access to at he, times. He should but, not, no. But yeah. that's, hey, he eventually gets a Zune for that. And so, that's true, but true. if you need music newer than a Zune, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> just as old, if not older, uh, the She Will Rock You podcast is the place to yes. go. Yes, absolutely. Welcome at She Will Rock You podcast. They're, they're putting out some pretty cool content. Actually, I think the actual handle is at she will rock you pod so that's she will rock the letter u pod pod so uh yeah welcome to the crew happy to have you but otherwise joe we're running out of well runway here yeah um, a little bit. <laughs> so yeah good good to good to share some more news with folks and as always we're, we're happy to bring you another cool interview with one of our favorite actors yeah, even uh, if not of else, even in this, even in this episode, it was a great time. <laughs> yeah, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these things happen, you know. Schedules <laughs> conflict, <laughs> but as always, folks, keep on dissecting. <laughs> 